Guess what, witches? <laughs> what the fuck is Halloween? Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast. Wear your hats, get your cats, get your brooms. Where we choose to recover out loud. Just shout out to me for being so awesome. By sharing our personal stories of inspiration. It's very witchy of you. Hope. We seek to do right because it is the right thing to do. And triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. <laughs> Put it in the witch's brew. We are proof that recovery does happen. That's dangerous. So you, therefore, you must be a witch. Joy and laughter may be involved. <laughs> this is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Today, my very special guest is Vasilisa. Wow. Hello, Vasilisa. Hello, lovely. Okay, I have to tell the listeners how I met the wonderful Vasilisa. We are She Recovers Sisters, so the organization She Recovers Foundation. Lisa is a integral part of as their community engagement specialist. Love the organization, have been designated as a coach of theirs. I went through their desi coaching designation program. And Lisa has tons of experience in everything related to recovery, and we're going to get into that, and I'm so excited. She's a co-founder of Sacred Recovery and creatrix of Reclaiming Recovery, and I never knew really what any of that meant. And essentially, that's Lisa just came out and was like, I'm a witch. And wouldn't you know it, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Because, I mean, I've been called that before, and I also have my own ideas of what witchery is or witchcraft or being a witch. And clearly, it's something other than what I think. <laughs> Probably a lot of us. <laughs> so I was just super geeked up to be able to sort of poke into that and really talk with someone that I know is open and capable of educating in a way that is not offensive or scary, because I would say that most people find it scary. They do absolutely find it scary. And without going into a massive, you know, history lesson about the influences of capitalism and the patriarchy and a little bit of, you know, church and state roped into the mix. People are scared of the term witch. It has much to do with the, the history and the negative connotation roped into that uh, because of something called like the witch craze, which happened, you know, many, many, many moons ago. But a lot of the themes that came from that are still, you know, still happen today. And a lot of stigma is associated with it for that reason. And so essentially, like during the witch craze, if, if you were a witch, you were essentially someone who was a healer in some sense. You know, you may have been a midwife, you may have been a herbalist, you may have been a counselor or a therapist or taught someone to really get connected with preventative medicine practices or holistic healing practices, like using herbs and plant medicine to heal. The ability to move emotions through your body through noticing through sensing things happening in your own system and understanding the relational quality that you have and the power that you have with yourself, with your own intuition, with the environment and with the community around you. And at the time, <laughs> you know, uh, privileged w white men, for lack of a better word, really didn't like that power, right? It, it really, it, 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 in during those times, it, and I don't, and I'm not here to offend anybody with any religious background. I, you're, you know, you are all your own spiritual authorities. I super support any beliefs that people come to the table with. But at that time, to do anything against what was known as the will of God, was was seen as very harmful. Mm -hmm. 
it, it was dangerous to, to know yourself, to know your own power, to develop a connection with your intu intuition, again, was very dangerous because it often would be seen as going against the will of God. Right. And so I'm a bit of a circle thinker, so which means I don't speak or think linearly. So I'm going to jump. I mentioned the witch craze, which I'll get back to in a second. I'm going to jump to pre-witch craze time, which is in and around the 13th century. And at that time, with they were trying to, or they had already actually accomplished institutionalizing, right, and providing university education for those that wish to practice as doctors and physicians. And at that time, you know, a really incredible example of this is like a prescription for a toothache, a simple toothache provided by an Oxford doctor who was also a white male. The prescription for that was to write on the jaw of the patient and in quotes, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen, or to touch a needle to a caterpillar and then to the tooth. And so isn't it interesting that witch healers were persecuted for being practitioners of magic when it was them, like I said, who had developed, you know, this extensive understanding of the body, mm -hmm. of bones, of muscles, um, of the chemical and relational qualities of those herbs and plants. And it was, again, it was illegal to teach these things. And witches and midwives at that point, you know, they did a lot of uh, healing work specifically around labor and delivery. And they would often give their patients tools, medicines, practices to reduce the pains of labor, right? Yeah. And that was also illegal because it was determined to be a malpractice because, again, against it went against sort of God's punishment for Eve's original sin. Mm. So because it, it's a long way to say, you know, because we were seen as powerful in that sense, they essentially made it illegal to practice all of these things. And, and at the time when something was illegal, you could have a witch trial and, oh. and the way they determined if you were a witch. Yeah. You could just decide, essentially decide um, collectively or just as one person that somebody, you could accuse them of being a witch, um, accuse them of practicing these things, of practicing also singing and dancing and celebrating in groups you know, when women gathered in groups, that was also illegal um, and you could be tried as a witch. So they considered that witchery? Yes. It was considered a practice of witchcraft. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> is there such thing as witchery? I keep saying that. A practice of witchcraft. There absolutely is. Yeah. Witchery oh, okay. is the practice of witchcraft. Oh, good. I'm glad that I have some so, well done. terminology. Well, speaking of terminology, you mentioned herbs several times and I've always mm -hmm. been taught the word is herbs. And so I wanted mm -hmm. to just get that out of the way. <laughs> is that a Canadian thing? A witch thing? Thing, or do you just like to use the letter H when it's supposed to be silent? I'll just say that I'm my own spiritual authority and I mispronounce things all the time. And it's probably all of those things. It's probably a Love witch it. thing. I'm not sure. It's probably a Canadian <laughs> thing, but also I pronounce everything wrong. So in other words, Lori, shh, that's who I am. And I say herbs. Please mention that because <laughs> I like being able to say that I'm calling it herbs and that's just the way it is. Yes. But just to, to finish off what I was saying before, the way that you determined if someone was a witch was to attempt to drown them. And what? if they didn't drown, they were a witch and tortured and likely killed. If they did drown, oops, you drowned, but you weren't a witch. Oopsies. Stop. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. That's a lot to start yeah, with. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when was this shit happening? What year was this in? So the, the medical piece, um, when they started making a lot of midwifery illegal was 13th century. The witch okay. crazes where they were having the witch trials was between about 15th and 17th century. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed. Oh my gosh. So they're having witch 
trials. And what I'm hearing is basically we're going to figure out if you're a witch or not. And how they do that is based on their own, like, oh, you were out there singing with Mary last night, so you must be a witch. And then they kill you. Exactly. And the theme there is, wow, you were exhibiting joy and power, and that's dangerous. So you, therefore, you must be a witch. So they had to make up, you know, they had to make up some of these things in order for it to qualify, right? And fear is a very powerful thing. Yes. Well, I would bet too. I mean, I just, I'm uh, clearly, I don't, I don't fucking know anything and I'm making shit up, but I would just in my head, I would think that like you just said with fear for someone to not understand and, and, and frankly, you know, this is the recovery hour and we're going to talk about recovery and you having something to do with being a witch also plays into your recovery. But my thoughts of that are as someone who wasn't in recovery, I was always scared of or pushed away and frankly, including religion of things that just didn't make sense to me. And I didn't want to know that. And being in a space now where I've been sober and actually practicing recovery, it allows me to be open to learning about things. And that might not mean that I accept or think it's okay, but it means that I'm actually at least getting educated about it. Mm -hmm. And religion is one of those things. Witchery is one of those things right now. And I'll tell you, I have a very close friend that knows that I was going to do this podcast with you with this interview. And she is a practicing Christian. And I can't tell you, I have never seen the fear in her face mm -hmm. when I said that I was going to interview a witch. Mm -hmm. And she, she then told her husband and he had the same look and it was essentially shut down the podcast. You are not, this isn't happening. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have, they're very close friends of mine and I've never seen either one of them react this way in a sense of I'm going out of the box and doing something different. You know, I always do crazy shit, but no, this was like, uh-uh, mm -hmm. nope, you're not doing yeah. it. Well, guess what? Here we are. <laughs> and I'm like, um, we're already friends. So I don't know if whatever you're freaking out about is going to happen is going to happen. I don't know. But I think now listening to what you're saying about the power of God and the will of God, and that's so much what they believe in, is that mm -hmm. God is truly the one that is going to handle everything in life. And so mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you is being a witch is that you truly have the control. We're part of, we're part of, we have power with. And I think that's part of the threat, right? And so a little bit of, from what I'm hearing from your lovely friends, I mean, bless them. I love them. I, I get it and I understand. Things that we don't know are very scary, right? Mm -hmm. When we don't know about something, it's essentially in our shadow. And I mean, who wants to go back there and see what's in, you know, in the dark corners of the spaces in, in our hearts that we don't know or we haven't traveled? So of course... The other thing that I'm hearing too is this sort of concept of a witch is going to curse you if you wrong her. Yes. You know, I don't believe in him. I don't believe in curses, but I certainly believe in fear and I believe in intergenerational trauma, which is, you know, essentially, you know, if they have a, a, especially a history, right, of being brought up in any kind of religious beliefs, whatever they are, that's going to have a positive and negative impact, you know, on, on your own nervous system right? We carry three generations of, of that, at least in our DNA. And so of course they would have those fears, right? Because their ancestors had those fears. And for many people, it may feel unwarranted, but it absolutely, you know, there is a deep connection and it's okay. And that's sort of part of my work as a recovering witch, right? Is to repair that disconnection, to repair the disconnection and the lack of relationship. Because 
we all, you know, as witches, one of the biggest distinctions, and again, you are in reclaiming witchcraft, which is the, the type, the, the tradition that I follow, essentially. Um, we really believe that you are your own spiritual authority. You know, I have a very dear witch friend who is also a Christian. The, the thing for us, sorry, the thing that I believe anyway, is that, you know, there isn't necessarily just some, you know, a dude in the sky looking at all of the ways that I'm sinning and not sinning and determining my fate in heaven. I seek to do good right now because it's the right thing to do. I seek to do good here because I have power with myself, power with nature, um, and I have a duty to take care of myself, my community, and the world right now. So we live for today. You know, you'll you'll find that many witches, um, you know, identify as followers of earth-based spirituality, which means that we know that the decisions, the actions, the intentions, and the impact that we have in the world today have a ripple effect that will impact future generations. It will impact people that are here long after we're gone. And so I think that's one of the distinctions, right? Is that we don't live, we, we don't live in fear of sinning. We live in, in passion for doing the right thing. Wow, that's a lot. I talk a lot. I just talk in circles and tralala. But you just pop that stuff out. And so it's obvious it's very much a passion and something you believe in and educational. And I'm so glad that we just spoke of that because that's what this show is about, educating and letting other people know that they are not alone. And I'm sure there's a couple of what you consider... Um, in the broom closet witch <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Out, of, out of the broom closet witch. You Something else that popped into my head is, you know what, like for me, I've chosen to be out of the broom closet, right? And I will go on to say that I have received threats still because of that. Even just a couple of weeks ago, I did have someone who is a physician tell me that what I was teaching was harmful um, and that I could kill people by teaching them that they have a sense of their own intuitive power. And, you know, again, that's just, it's fear-based and I get it, but it's also not safe for everybody to identify as a witch. So just because I do, you know, what I would say to all of those people who are kind of trying trying to find their way in the world or find their way in recovery, you know, like do what feels right and safe for you because prioritizing your, I mean, we can't, we can't pour from an empty cup. Right. And so you don't have to be loud and proud to still practice, you know, spiritual principles to still want to do good in the world. Lovely. While you were talking, that just made me think about your recent experience with a physician knowing the steps and very traditional way of becoming a physician. You go through X amount of school for undergraduate. You go through X amount of school for graduate program. You go to medical school. You do these things and then, hey, you're a doctor. So is there a process of becoming a witch or do you just say, this is the life that I want to live and these are the principles that witches live them by and that's what I'm deciding to do with my life. So for, I guess what I'm saying, would a physician say you're practicing, you're doing something that could kill someone mm -hmm. and you're like, that's, I'm giving, I'm educating people on whatever that is or are you performing a business of some sort? What, is, what are you doing that he's saying, one, that you could kill that person by doing whatever it is you're doing? And then two, I guess my other question is, how do you become a witch, right? Like you wake up and say, hey, I want to be a witch today. Like, do you get a witching certificate or do you have to go through a certain process or what is all that like? What does someone need to do to call themselves a witch? Well, a few things. First of all, words are spells. So if you call yourself a witch, then you are one. 
And I don't mean to say that spiritual bypassing bullshit where we can only say or think positive things and then everything else just gets to calcify under our disingenuous love and light. Claiming ourselves as witches, healers, wise ones, and those in deep relationship with all that lives below, above, and beyond comes with great responsibility. It comes with a little digging in the dark. So when we call ourselves witches, we wake that ancestral wisdom in our DNA. So yes, call yourself a witch, but perhaps prepare for the ride, you know? Again, like recovery, the witch's path is never easy, but I can promise you it's always worth it. I would also say, do your research. Which way do you want to witch? There are so many paths. Some are religions, some are traditions, some follow traditions, and some create new ones. I'm a reclaiming witch, and in our tradition, the only thing you need to do to call yourself a reclaiming witch is to subscribe or follow our principles of unity. So take time to notice who has what you want in the, in the witch world. Read some books. Um, Reclaiming Recovery uh, has a great list of resources for recovery-savvy witch reading. Or if you are interested in reclaiming, attend one of the core classes. Again, the title does come with some responsibility. And the god or goddess of your understanding or universal law or neuro-linguistic programming and intergenerational traumatic wounds, they're all listening and rising to the surface. Uh, the next thing I would say is please honor the stewards of said path. You know, ancestors of craft or of the land, the indigenous people of the land that you occupy. The power of the witch comes from energy, so it's our responsibility to contribute to the collective cauldron. So think of your knowledge as an energy exchange. So what are you going to do with the wisdom that has been passed on to you? It goes, you know, beyond simply walking around your house with a cleansing stick and then posting about it on Instagram. But again, like, by all means, please share your gifts. But I feel it is important to trace the threads of lineage, to talk about why we're doing this and why it's personally important to us and why it may have been important to our ancestors or the people that have taught us these practices. Because, you know, much of the history of witches was passed on orally or not at all. Uh, because, again, to be a witch was very dangerous. So there are breaks in this thread. And now that we are not likely to be killed for being a healer or a witch, it, it is our responsibility to speak the names of and to honor our mentors so their wisdom can continue to live on. So in a nutshell, it comes down to this for me. Um, I sometimes struggle to remember, you know, specific orders of things at times. So acronyms are actually super helpful for me. So if anyone is listening and is wondering about if the way of the witch is for them, I would welcome them to think of the word witch um, and the word witch as an acronym that I created being with intuition and intention, they create healing. So do you want to do that? Do you want to create healing opportunities for yourself, for your loved ones, for your community in recovery with your intuition and with direct and deep intention? Then do that. Great. Get witching. So I just think about like how many practices that could be considered witchcraft or originated from witches that us layman peeps just go about doing in our daily lives because we believe it, blah, blah, blah. 
And then here we are walking into her home and burning sage because that's going to get rid of, or we're going to, you know, light some candles or incense or whatever that is. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it just seems like those, those things that make some normal people like not witches comfortable seems like they came from practices of the witches originally. hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry to ruin it for everybody, but if you've ever, you know, if you've ever engaged in anything, you know, like that, if you've ever used a herb for healing, <laughs> if you've ever used a cleansing stick to just, cause I mean, there's many scientific benefits to cleansing a space, right? The, mm-hmm. it, depending on the plant you're using, right? The, the smoke can have many, many positive properties um, that come from that. But yeah, newsflash, I'm about to re- ruin it for you. Like it probably came from witches. It probably came from witches or from the indigenous people that came before you on the lands that you currently occupy. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, Breaking dun. news. Coming in from uh, the recovery hour of Vasilisa, just burst your bubble. Guess what, witches? <laughs> so now, do you have crazy shit go down around Halloween? Because this is the thing. It's commercialized. It's, you know, my seven-year-old, when she was four, wanted to be a witch for Halloween. So you get the black hat, you got the cat, you got the broom, the whole spiel. Like, what do Mm -hmm. real witches do with that? Are you just go along with the flow and be like, you people are crazy? Or are you completely offended? Or do you, um, like, put on a costume and just go play the role? Like, what happens? So first of all, I'll say any exposure is good exposure. Wear your hats get your cats, get your brooms. I super love it. (laughs) What the fuck is Halloween? I mean, I'm 44 years old. I celebrate till I could remember every year this holiday celebration. And what it means to me is plastic costumes and lots of candy. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like that's what a lot of people believe Halloween is. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from you is that it's more of a tradition of the salmon. Salmon. Oopsies. <laughs> Great. So the term Halloween, as far as I know anyway, came from the church's attempt to translate the pagan holiday uh, known as Samhain um, as a way to make this time feel less scary or more comfortable. Uh, because again, there is a lot of stigma and misconception that goes along with witches um, and being a witch. So it was their attempt to make everyone feel a little more at ease. And it was declared that November 1st uh, was All Saints Day, or All Hallows Day. So October 31st naturally became All Hallows Eve, or as Halloween as we know today. And Samhain uh, is originally a a pagan festival, and still is today, in in celebration of the beloved dead. And the deeper connection that we may feel at this time of year to our ancestors, or to what some may call the supernatural. Uh, You'll hear a lot of witches say that this time of year is when the veil between the worlds is thin. Um, And what this means to me is that it's an opportunity or a time when I'm perhaps in deeper connection with my beloved ancestors or ancestors of craft. Um, It's an opportunity for me to be in reverence to them, uh, to honor them, and to give great thanks. It's also a time uh, when the veil is thin between our human selves and our own intuition. So literally speaking, it's the time in the year to reap the crops that we may have sown earlier. Um, And perhaps uh, metaphorically speaking, those crops are our intentions or what we may have set out to do earlier in the year, and to be reflective of what worked and what didn't, what we wish to carry forward with us into the winter, um, and what we wish to release. Um, And at this time, again, you know, the turning of the wheel, the nights uh, have become much longer than the days. So we do have this natural inclination to go inward, 
Um, it is also said, you know, I think like 2,000 years ago, I'm a poor historian, so we'll just say like a couple thousand years ago, that costumes at the time of Samhain uh, were worn uh, to confuse traveling spirits or energy, perhaps with malicious intent. Um, and the costumes were worn to confuse them, so they couldn't separate what was a, a real human with what was not. Um, and so I feel that now, you know, we reclaim this in a way, and we wear costumes to honor those unseen parts of ourselves. Uh, you know, we can dress up uh, perhaps where our insides may, more, may be in more alignment with our outsides, maybe for the first time. And, you know, kids dress up as characters or heroes they admire. And so even as adults, it's an opportunity because it speaks to something inside of us that we may have lost touch with. You know, that playful part of ourselves. I feel it's an opportunity to connect and be in communion with those parts of ourselves that we may feel, you know, more comfortable bringing forward while wearing a mask. Can I go off on a little tangent for a second? Yeah. As long as we can post it on the podcast, absolutely. We can post it on the podcast. It's just, it, it may or may not relate to what we're talking sure. about right now. So just like full disclosure, like I'm about to like say something and I just don't even really know why, but I feel called. But, ah! um, you know, like when we're, t we've been talking about cycles, right? We're, we've just crossed the autumn equinox, right? We're, we're heading into winter and it makes me think of other cycles that happen, other things that impact our world, right? And the moon has a significant impact on our world. And it's one of the things that I get asked a lot about, and I'm not an astrologer by any means, like I have a very basic understanding, again, an intuitive understanding of what the, the, the relationship I have to the moon. Um, if anyone who is listening wants to dive into astrology and moon magic more, I recommend uh, Chani Nicholas. Um, as, as a great resource, but, um, you know, the earth is made up of mostly water, right? I'm not a scientist, but it's like mostly water. Um, the moon, you know, from outer space has such an influence over our world. So it literally controls the tides and the movement of water on our planet. So I don't even need to believe in that shit to know that it's real. Like it happens regardless of my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I think it would actually just be so ignorant to say that like things like the moon doesn't impact us because we are made up of mostly water. You know, our bodies, especially anyone born with a womb space has a cycle of their own. And typically that cycle, I'll call it a period to the P word, everybody trigger warning, I guess, P word, um, <laughs> to, you know, a period has the exact same amount of days for one cycle to occur in our body as as does the moon, you know, it's the same duration. So, um, our body, the seasons, the earth, the moon, like, I don't care if you believe in any of it, but like, I would just ask people again, like, can you notice the relationship and the similarity, right? Can you use these other, um, examples as reflective tools of the, the cycles and the patterns that, you know, you may be encountering in your own life? Like the other question I would ask to is like when, when I get, because I often get asked, like, do you believe in the goddess? Like, do you, what do you believe in? Like as a witch, like, you know, what is your God or, or what is your belief system? And I'm like, do you need to believe in your ability to breathe in order for it to happen? Um, because one mm. of the, 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 well, the, the, the creator essentially of reclaiming witchcraft, uh, Starhawk, she, she's often asked too, like, do you believe in the goddess? And the quote, my favorite quote from her, it's like one of the, I'm terrible at memorizing things, but like this quote 
has always stuck with me. Like I highlight my books and this page is like completely destroyed. So thankfully I remember it because I can't even read it out of my book now. But she says like, do do you believe in rocks? You know, we don't believe in the goddess. We connect with her. And the phrase believe in in itself implies that we cannot know the goddess and that somehow she is intangible and incomprehensible. But we do not believe in rocks. We may see them or touch them or dig them out of our gardens. We may know them and we connect with them. And in the craft, we do not believe in the goddess or or God of your understanding. We connect with her through the moon, the stars, the ocean, the earth, through trees, through animals, through other human beings, through ourselves, through our breath. She is here and she is within us all. So yeah, just kind of go off on a tangent to say that the reason why the path of the witch is so deeply connected with my path of recovery is because it's about that reconnection. It's about that reclamation, right, of all of these things. It's about reclaiming myself as a powerful part of the whole. The end. Check. Whatever that was. Mic drop. It's what that was. You mentioned through that about your recovery, and that's something I do want to talk about. So let's pivot a little bit from witchcraft, unless there is something specific that we did not get to that you would like to make sure we share. Uh, do you have approximately eight more hours? or <laughs> <laughs> We can move on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, so what I would love to talk about is you are a woman in long-term recovery. Can you talk a little bit about what you are actually in recovery from, what your practices are in addition to witchcraft? Absolutely. I will say my traditional line is my name is Vasilisa. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm talking to you today from the traditional territory of the Longonquin speaking people. And I'm primarily in recovery from codependency, workaholism, trauma, and more recently child loss. And the codependency piece for me really is kind of at the root of most things, most other isms, most other things that I'm recovering from. Yeah, codependency is kind of at the bottom. And I would say that I'm recovering from the superpower that I never had to control people, places, and things, which is a really interesting distinction to make as a witch and who recognizes her own power. But just throwing that into the cauldron. Well, why not? <laughs> Put it in the witch's brew. Yeah, essentially, I destroyed my life sober. I mean, I've been sober for years as well. You know, I, I had I had one trigger warning. I'm going to mention a type of alcohol, but I had one glass of wine on my 30th birthday, and I'm just about to turn 36. Um, and I and again, I just realized at that time, like I didn't need to drink once every three years just because someone bought me a beverage. Like I also know that I hold massive privilege you know, when it comes to the choice that I have around alcohol and substances, like I choose to live a sober life and thank goddess for that. But I also really believe that like, I'm what I call an early exeter. You know, there is history of incredible addiction um, in my lineage and my, you know, my ancestral line um, in my family and, and love them, bless them. I just, yeah, I got, I got an early exit because I didn't cross the pickle line. Like they say in, in, in many recovery realms, I'm still a cucumber. And so I'm (laughs) grateful for that. But at the same time, just newsflash, it's possible to go completely bankrupt emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially sober. Just if anybody Mm. is wondering. I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that are glad you said that. And they don't feel alone right now because it can happen. And 
frankly, easy to relate that to or to say, yeah, well, she's broke or she made these decisions because she was a drunk. So it's almost more shameful in a sense that you have this thought process of, wow, I, I, I managed to ruin my life and I'm not even a drunk. Absolutely. Yeah. I, all my faculties are in place, but yet I still made really bad decisions. Yeah. So interesting that you are, so you're practicing recovery isn't so much from any sort of alcohol use disorder, knowing that you do have that, the capacity to be in that space. You are just an early exiter, so you choose not to drink and live a sober life. And then practicing recovery is more so around your codependency and other things. Yeah, codependency, workaholism, trauma. Trauma. And then recently you experienced a loss of child. Mm-hmm. And it's confusing when I say that because, you know, we lost him at 19, 20 weeks. Um, but like I didn't, you know, miscarriage is the proper term, mm. but I didn't like drop him, right? I didn't draw, I didn't just miscarry a child. Like I lost a child. So that's why I use that terminology, but it's important for me to make the distinction that, yeah, it was, it was uh, before he, he managed to arrive at Earthside. Yeah. And that is devastating, not only to you physically, but mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we have any other listeners that have dealt with something similar, which I'm sure we do, do you have a practice? Do you have a tool? Is there something that soothes you mm-hmm. when it comes to the grief of the loss of a child? Absolutely, I do. And it all, again, it's all witchcraft for me. Um, it would be labeled as witchcraft. But what I would say, first of all, to anyone who's had the experience, regardless if it was day one or if your child, you know, is an adult child, your loss is valid, your pain is real, and it doesn't make it any easier, no matter where on the timeline you lose someone. It's always painful. It's always a process. And it's many, many, many layers of grief. And you know what? I am, we, we lost him at the end of January. It's what, October 1st now? Hooray, my favorite month, birthday month. Mm. Salwan. Heads up. Salwan. <laughs> it's also a full moon today. I feel that. But anyway, back to your question. Yeah, so it's been many, many, many moons. And I still had the cry of my life a couple of days ago. And I thought I was crying. You know, I originally thought I was crying about a roommate leaving and ghosting me out of $800. But I was crying for the child. You know, and, and, and that, that experience opened the door for me t- to cry and heal a little more. So while I'm still not um, super don't love that that happened, I'm still a little mad. But you know what? At the same time, it was an opportunity for me to have more healing tears. And, and so I would say to actually come back and answer your question, what do I do? You know, I relied on my spiritual community. I relied on my recovery community. I, I had to be okay with asking for help. You know, there's no shame in saying, I simply can't do that little thing you're asking of me today because my grief is just so overwhelming. And I really believe that that my spiritual path is what kind of kept me, which helped me move through the grief. I set up a little altar for Rowan, honoring him. It was the first thing I saw when I went to sleep, the first thing I saw before I closed my eyes, or the last thing I saw before I closed my eyes. And I would say there's there's... If it feels right for you, don't pack them away. You know, don't don't push that experience deep down in your psyche. Um, it's okay to honor them as as a as a living being. Um, you know, you developed a relationship with them in the womb, Earthside, whatever it may be. Um, 
Yeah, we don't have to be ashamed of that experience. I know that I shared in my recovery communities and just received an outpouring of support. I will also say I empathize with anyone who's had the challenge of, you know, the, the, the medical system. Thank goddess for the medical system. Thank goddess for the first responders and, and all of the nurses and doctors that work in a hospital. But at the same time, as hard as it was, the loss of Rowan wasn't what was traumatic about that experience. It was the lack of empathic witness. There was many things that happened to me in the hospital that were traumatic. And so I would say, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself or to have someone advocate on your behalf. Um, because I think it's so important when we're going through, you know, a massive experience of loss like that, that we have someone who sees us, who can hold our grief, who feel completely well and good with witnessing your tears. In more ancient times um, with Indigenous people and with communities of witches, there were celebrations and honorings around loss. They celebrated new life as much as they honored and grieved loss. You know, there were rituals. There were commu- the community would come together. There's also this, this sort of position in the community called the Wailing Woman. And her job or his job was solely to sing the, the, our lost loved ones to the other side, to sing the grief forward. So I think, it's a te- I think it's a testament to the power that these embodied practices that we can access today, singing, moving the energy, somatic practices, somatic therapy, dancing, all in community is really important. That, that mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. I get that. While we all joke about it, uh, it also, how my body reacts to, I mean, I've early as an adult woman, sober, gone to cry, mm-hmm. just tears will flow. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening to me? And then I'm like, okay, just go with it. It's totally fine. You're just something. And, and it's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's something else that I did too, that I think I forgot to mention is many mornings I would wake up and I would sing for 10 minutes. Um, But again, like, like you, like you, like that sort of my language, that's one of my tools. It's obviously not going to work for everybody, but yes, singing and activating the vocal cords as a sound healing practitioner. I know that that sound moves matter in our bodies, right? So if we have stuck energy, stuck trauma, stuck grief, stuck anger, (laughs) um, sound is going to vibrate all the chambers, you know, that those things are stuck in. My kids literally make fun of me because I'm always in the house and I shit up and I didn't, I don't know what's happening. I just keep going. (laughs) Just tell them it's your therapy now. It's your sound therapy. Lori must always sing because it's her sound therapy. And Lisa, the sound healing practitioner said she had to. Yes. I'll give you a note. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I have a, I have a sound practitioner note. Thank you. <laughs> so mentioning that you have a plethora of, of, of things that you have accomplished that I'm, I'm just really impressed with. And I want to talk about it a little bit with the guests and um, just let you tell me about him. But first, you being the co-founder of Sacred Recovery and what you consider the creatrix of reclaiming recovery. Can you tell me what those two things are? Yeah, so I'll start again with Reclaiming Recovery because backwards. Um, but Reclaiming Recovery is a collective of volunteer. It's a volunteer-led, uh, peer-driven, uh, supportive resource. Um, we gather on a, right now, a bi-weekly basis. And what it is, is an earth-based path to recovery um, for anyone, whether you identify as a witch or you're just exploring different avenues. 
everybody is welcome. And it's either by donation or free because we don't want to turn anybody away for lack of funds. And any of the funds that we do raise from the donations, uh, we send somebody to witch camp every year. That's our goal anyway. Reclaiming Recovery is also largely built on what I mentioned earlier, the reclaiming tradition. So again, we do things like read out the principles of unity every time we gather. Yeah, we really believe that our ultimate spiritual authority is within and we don't need anyone else to interpret the sacred to us and we come together. And Sacred Recovery is my coaching practice slash profesh platform, so to speak. And we're about to launch something called the Recovery Cauldron um, in partnership with Leanna Kennedy from Kennedy Recovery Coaching. It'll be a group program that we offer. But again, it really it is loosely based on earth-based spiritual practices. Also combines the more practical side of coaching. Awesome. Okay. And then you have... Also on your resume, certified trauma professional, professional recovery coach. She recovers signature coach designation, somatic experiencing practitioner, sound healing practitioner, and you also hold a diploma in addiction medicine. Girl, that's a lot. I just do some things in my spare time, you know? Uh Uh-huh. So you have over 13 years working in the realm of addiction recovery. What would you say... Out of all of those years, what are your proudest moments or your most proud moment? What what was the one thing that you just are, I'm so glad I got into this profession or this this community? Oh my gosh, there's just so many. I know it's a bit of a cop out to just say all the things, but yeah. uh, in life, I'll say in honor of our lovely, beloved Mariah Carey and singing, my proudest moment in life is winning, winning $500 in a karaoke competition. Um, but I don't have a way to actually like directly co- correlate that to my recovery. But just shout out to me for being so awesome. Um, what song did you sing? <laughs> okay, so I sang a really at the time and not a very well known song. Like I broke all the karaoke rules because you're supposed to sing, you know, popular songs that people can sing along to. I sang "I Found a Boy" by Adele. That at the time, like nobody knew it was like a an off track or whatever or whatever they call it. Um, and then I also sang. Um, it's by Duffy. Uh, forget what it's called right now. Um, Can you sing it? I love you, but I gotta stay true. You know, you got yes. me begging, please stop playing games. I don't know what this is, but you do me good. It's like you knew you would. Like you knew you would. There you go. Let's just start a band. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, back to what I'm really proud of. I'm so proud every time, you know, one of my sponsees, one of the people that I mentor, like gets it. Nothing makes me more proud when they set a boundary, like, and they stick to it or, you know, they, they accomplish, uh, they have, they celebrate a milestone or they accomplish something that they previously just felt incapable of, of recognizing or doing. When that happens, that just like feel, you know, that just keeps me going. My, my proudest moments are are kind of the quiet ones in a sense, right? And that's why, yeah, that's why I keep going. I mean, I could say one of my proud moments was I started at a treatment center as a graveyard, you know, support staff, which is, I'll just say like the hardest gig at a treatment center, hands down. So shout out mm. to all of the people who do that. Um, but I, I managed to, um, you know, find myself creating a position in alumni engagement and alumni management that hadn't been created before. And that was, 
and, and I and I share that because it just goes to show like when you're passionate about something and you believe in yourself and you have other people believe in in this recovery thing that you can just make miracles happen. Yes. And what a miracle you are. I am so happy that you spent this hour plus with me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And also pinch me because like I work for She Recovers and just, I just can't, I, I, I just don't even count it still because it doesn't even seem like it could possibly be real. Like I must be living in some alternative reality, but like that is a pretty friggin' proud moment for me as well. It is. And you guys, you gals, you women, you strong ass women over there are doing such amazing things and affecting so many of us in such a positive way. And I will always be so grateful for the organization and for all the work you do with them. And for our newfound friendship, I really dig you. I'm super glad that you gave me this time and that the listeners now have a little taste of what the real spiel is on witchcraft. And should you have any questions about what we talked about today, you can find Vasilisa. Where's the best place for people to find you on social media? Uh, Find me please on social media um, at sacred recovery or at reclaiming recovery. And you can also find me on the uh, corresponding websites as well, sacredrecovery.ca or reclaimingrecovery.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful, what do you call this? A season? A moon? What is it? Let's just call it a day. <laughs> it's Samhain. Yes, thank you. It is, it's full moon. It's Samhain. It's going to be the party of a lifetime. So happy, happy Samhain. Blessed Samhain to anybody who is listening. And quit using the fucking white sage. And also congratulations to Lori on saying Samhain properly three times in a row. I wrote that shit down. All right. You just finished listening to the coolest podcast episode of The Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Thank you, Vasilisa Wall, the out of the broom closet witch, also addiction specialist that has a bazillion freaking titles behind her name, and she can speak so clearly about so many things. We love her. We adore her. We are so... I don't know who we are because I do not have a prog in my pocket, but I always say we, like this is a big production team and it's just me. So thank you. I am thanking you and I am so pleased that you joined us today. Thank you so much for having me. Adore you very much. Is there like an after party now or? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfeld, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right, calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.